0: 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm encouraged that there are children here today because the truths of the Bible are not dependent on being an adult. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he also said that he has made his truths known to the simple and confounded the wise. So the world looks at some of these truths and even people that are religious, if you look at the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they looked at some of these biblical truths, quote unquote, as being insurmountable and not doable for the average person. But Jesus made himself available to every one of us. And he said that in order for us to come to him, we had to have the heart of a child. So I hope that even as a child here today, you will be encouraged by what we share. Well, um, I I always pray and ask the Lord what he would have me to share at these meetings, and particularly here, because I know Some of you, although I don't know how many of you, but some of you have been on staff here for the summer, and uh, there's a couple of you, and I'm sure that's been a great experience. Many times when people go to camp, either as a camper or as a staff member, and I can relate to this from my past, they leave camp on what you would consider a mountaintop experience. It's this amazing experience, and they're so excited when they leave. But then, as they get into the regular routine of life, it can be hard to maintain. And the reality is that the Christian life is not just these mountaintop experiences. It's not just this one-time experience. It's a journey of ups and downs. But it's something that we need To constantly maintain. And so today I want to give you um, some hope for the believer. That's the title of my message today, Hope for the Believer. We're going to look at hopefully the entire chapter of 1 Peter chapter 1. So what's the first thing that we should be hopeful for as a believer, or we should do as a believer, to remind us of the hope that we have? The first point I have here is be thankful for the great inheritance waiting for us. Now there is one other thing as I begin that I want to remind you of or let you know and that is that I have some cross-references that I will ask you to look up a few times throughout the message. Now this is for two reasons. Number one, it makes it easier for me so because I, I don't have to turn to my Bible quite as much. Number two, it hopefully keeps you awake Because I'll be calling on you. So, keep that in mind. But we're going to read just the first nine verses to begin of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath have begotten, have begotten us again, unto uh, a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away. Hmm. reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation. The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be find, found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing Of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So we see here that Peter is writing his epistle to encourage the believers. They were no doubt going through great tribulations in certain respects. And they were facing great opposition to the faith. Remember, the religious leaders decided that they loved their popularity so much that they failed to see who Jesus Christ was. And you can tell that by the way they talked. They didn't say we need to kill Jesus because he's a false teacher. No, they said we need to kill Jesus because... He is taking away our place of influence in the nation. That's what they said. Those were the words that they said. You know, I I think about when they killed him and when he rose again. And then in in Matthew it says that the the soldiers came and told the story about, about the resurrection. We don't know all the details they told them, but they obviously believed something happened. And the religious leader said, well, tell them that the disciples stole the body, and we will, we will make sure that your jobs are secure. And they gave them money, and they bribed them to tell this lie. And it said in Matthew that that lie was being repeated, at least up until the day that Matthew was written. And so I began to think about that more in the light of, because I used to think, well, they didn't believe Jesus rose. But I began to believe that they believed intellectually that he rose. But if he rose, and if that got out, then they would have to have a response to it. And so they wanted to quell it because, again, they cared more about their popularity than the fact that Jesus had risen. So, and I like this book because he wrote it to a lot of different people. A lot of times when when he writes a book, like when he wrote Philippians, it was to the saints at Philippi, one of my favorite books. When he wrote Colossians, it was to the saints at Colossae. But he writes this first, uh, that was Paul, both of those were Paul. But when Peter writes this epistle, he writes it to a bunch of different groups. And he writes to them of a hope that they have, no matter what's going on around them, because they were living in a dictatorship, and I'm thankful I don't today. But he says that God knew about you and he brought Jesus to sanctify you and cover you with his blood and then he says grace to you and peace be multiplied how wonderful that we began the service today with amazing grace because that's truly the only thing that has brought us here today without the amazing grace of God I may not be here today. I was born three months prematurely, and my mom says as soon as she heard me cry, she knew I was going to live. But my dad told me that he walked around the campus of that hospital in Jackson, Michigan in 1979, and he begged God for my life. And I'm thankful for uh, Christian heritage, uh, a father that loves the Lord and, and believes the whole counsel of God and has passed that on to me. But even more so, I might not be here today because I didn't like my life for a long time. When I was five, I came to know Jesus in a personal way and I knew that my personal or my permanent destination was sealed. I was going to heaven. But for the next nine years, I fought God. And I said, God, I said, I've been raised to believe that you make no mistakes, but you made at least one because you put me in this wheelchair and there's nothing I can do to serve you. If you get me out of this wheelchair and you want me to serve you, then, then we'll talk. But until then, there's really nothing for you to say. And that was kind of an off-and-on attitude. I won't say that it pervaded the entire nine-year period, but it was an off-and-on attitude that I had, and it was an argument that I had with him ongoing. But then after that nine years, well, eight years into that nine years, my baby brother died. He went to bed for a nap at three months of age, never woke up. And that was my low point. Because at that point I was like, God, why did you take him when he was seemingly healthy? Nothing was wrong. And you left me here and I'm utterly useless. And I remember crying in my mom's arms, and saying, why did God do this? He could have taken me. You guys could have had relief. You wouldn't have had to take care of me anymore. And he could have lived a healthy life. And my mom prayed for me and she, and she clung to me so many times during that period. And it was the roughest year of my life. The day he died, July 16, 1992, is as vivid in my mind today as if it had happened yesterday. But as I got to the end of that year, in June of um, 1993, I went to a conference. And in that conference, There was a session about the 10 unchangeables of life. And in that session, one of them was the way God made you physically. And at that point, God said, enough is enough, Andrew. If you'll get out of my way and let me use you, then I'll do great things for you and through you. And he has done that. In 2009, I committed to Christian ministry and began my Speaking for Him ministry after the, the many discussions with my father and with other people that were influential in my life. Because there was a time when I was dreaming of Christian ministry and I would tell people I was dreaming of it. But it got to the point in 2009 where it was not enough to be dreaming of it. It was time to do it. So in 2009, I embarked on Speaking for Him. Last September... I added a new facet to my ministry when I accepted a position at the Potter's House Christian School in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I work in teacher support. First day of school is tomorrow, so I covet your prayers for that as well. I'm so thankful to be able to work in a Christian environment. This past week, we had our staff training and we we did praise and worship songs and we took communion together and I just marveled at God's goodness. To be able to do that with my workplace. But getting back to our passage here. Peter is going to lay out so many blessings that we have. And in verse 4 he says. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And that fadeth not away. We got this lively hope in verse 3. From the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we get this inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us. There's an inheritance in heaven for me with my name on it. Why? Because I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Do I keep my own salvation? Am I so good that I can stay saved because I want to? because I put in the effort. No, I'm kept by the power of God. The book of Ephesians says in chapter one that the day I became a believer, I was sealed with with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And because I have the Holy Spirit, I know that I know that I know that Jesus is coming back for me. John said, I have written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not a guessing game. And Peter puts it in verse 3 as a lively hope. It's not a a dead hope. It's not like, oh, I'm hoping that when my dad gets home, he'll give me ice cream. It's not that kind of hope. It's not the kind of hope where you ask your parents if you can do things, and they say maybe. In my experience, maybe is a 50-50 shot. (laughs) As a kid, when my parents would say maybe, it was was a 50-50 shot. Maybe even... 30, 70, depending on the context. But when you're talking about hope and salvation and hope from the Lord, it's 100, 100. Because if you look pat, back in the Old Testament, you see all the things that were prophesied and all the things that have come true, you know that if those things have come true and the things that are prophesied yet to come will come true as well. Okay, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, you are in heaviness through, multi, through manifold temptations. Now, I think this word temptations is more translated trials. It's not talking about being tempted to do wrong, it's just talking about, um, like when James says in James chapter 1, My brother, encountered all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have its perfect work so that you may be perfect in God and lacking nothing. I think that's what it's talking about here. Verse 7, The trial of your faith being more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the, the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, and whom though ye see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. See, I've never seen the face of Jesus. But I will. And I and I won't lie, my wheelchair is still a trial. There are still days when I wake up and wish that I could walk. There are still days when I hate this body but I'm not living for this body. I'm living for the day when this corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortal will put on immortality. And I will have a new body and I will be running down the streets of God. Before that ever happens, I will finally be able to bow their knee. Bow the knee to Jesus and proclaim Him, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You know, a lot of times people kneel when they're proposing. I hope to propose one day. I won't be kneeling that day. But I will be kneeling on the day that I step into eternity. And I proclaim Jesus as Lord. It says that every person in the world will be. Even the most evil dictator that you can think of. There's a worship song that says, One day every voice will proclaim you our God. One day every knee will bow. But the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. See, one day you are going to bow before him. The question is, will you choose him now? Whom having not seen you love... So you see him not yet, believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Am I happy every day? No. But I have a joy that the world cannot understand because they don't know him. And I do. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. See, we need to be thankful for what we have. We need to be thankful for this great inheritance that Jesus has procured for us. Someone can look up 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. If you have your Bible, if you can look that up, the first person to get to it if they could read it for me. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. Okay. Now there is a- I I love the second part of that verse because the first part is obvious. You know, you see Paul and you read about him in the New Testament. You read his epistles and you read the book of Acts and you're like, Paul, he was a great man. There's no doubt whatsoever about his reward. But then he says, you know, it's not just about me because if you love his appearing, you can have it too. You want the crown of life? Live in a way that's looking for His appearing. Love God, love others, and never stop. That's the motto of a very good friend of mine, and I'm so thankful for her in my life. And it really sums up the way we should live. To love God, love others, and never stop. It's really a paraphrase of what Jesus said when they said, what's the great commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, there's a lot of commands in the Bible, but if you learn and practice those two, you will get all the other ones right. So, such a blessing to realize that. All right, I want to share... share with you this uh, story that I found, which will hopefully uh, give you hope. It says the school system in a large city had a program to help children keep up with their schoolwork during stays in the city's hospitals. One day a teacher who was assigned to the program received a routine call asking her to visit a particular child. She took the child's name and room number and talked briefly with the child's regular class teacher. We're studying nouns and adverbs in his class now, the regular teacher said, and I'd be grateful if you could help him understand them so he doesn't fall too far behind. The hospital program teacher went to see the boy that afternoon. No one had mentioned to her that the boy had been badly burned and was in great pain. Upset at the sight of the boy, she stammered as she told him, I've been sent by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs. When she left, she felt she hadn't accomplished much. But the next day, a nurse asked her, "'What did you do to that boy?' The teacher felt she must have done something wrong and began to apologize. "'No, no,' said the nurse. "'You don't know what I mean. "'We've been worried about the little boy, "'but ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. "'He's fighting back, responding to treatment. "'It's as though he's decided to live.' Two weeks later, the boy explained that he had completely given up hope until the teacher arrived. Everything changed when he came to a simple realization— He expressed it this way. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? See, the world is living today as if they have no hope. They live, they die, and that's it. But the book of Proverbs says, surely there is a hereafter, and your expectation will not be cut off. We are made eternal beings. We're all eternal. I used to think that the only people that got eternal life were believers. But the question is not whether you will have eternal life. The question is where you will spend your eternal life. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 says that some will go forth. I'm going to just look that up so I don't mess it up. Daniel chapter 3, and it's kind of interesting... Um, that you would find a verse like this in the book of Daniel, but but it's very applicable to what we're talking about. Daniel 12.3. I don't want to just paraphrase this one because it's really good. Daniel 12.3, it says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame, and everlasting contempt. Those are the two ways, the two places that you can awake to. And what's the difference in those places? The difference is one person. And that is Jesus. Your decision to follow Jesus is the decision that will show where you will spend your eternity. Alright, so we've dealt with our first point. We've gotten through verse 9, and we've talked about being thankful for the inheritance waiting for us. So that's the number one thing as we live this life of hope. The second thing is to... Show your thanks by the life that you live. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 18. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto them with the Holy Ghost sent now from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, be sober and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you to be holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning in fear, for so much as you know that you are not redeemed with corrupt all things, as silver or gold, from your vain conversation received by the tradition of men, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so we see, as Peter is outlining this hope that we have, then he's saying it needs to pour forth from your life. And Peter has a good experience in this regard because in Acts chapter 4, we read that Peter stood up and, being filled with the Holy Spirit, gave all the credit in the world to Jesus for healing the lame man. And and then it was said of him. The people around marveled because they knew he was an unlearned man. But they also knew, what? That he had been with Jesus. That is the driving ambition of my life. That people would know when they come in contact with me that I've been with Jesus. Am I perfect? No. My family could tell you all kinds of stories about how that's not true. But I know that Jesus is constantly working in my life to conform me more to the image of his son. And he talks about how the prophets um, foreshadowed the grace of God. You know, we look at Isaiah chapter 53 and we read about the suffering that Jesus would go through on our behalf. Isaiah would not um, see Jesus in the flesh on the earth but he knew that he was coming. Think of Job which is quite possibly the oldest book in the Bible. And what was it that Job said? He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and on the earth will stand at the latter day. And he also said, I know that in my flesh I will see God. One of the first mentions of the new body. It's not going to be something where we're just going to be floating around as spirits. We're going to get new bodies. So, He's talking about the gospel being preached unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost, which again, he was, he was at the day of Pentecost, he was in that upper room. So when he talks about the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, he's no doubt reflecting on that. And then he says, which things the angels desire to look into. Do you ever stop and think about this, that the angels, there's angels that serve God and there's demons that decided to go against God. But they will never experience a personal relationship with God in the way we will. Because we were made in the image of God. The angels look in wonder at our relationship with God. And yet they will never experience it to the level that we will. And for the demons, their fate is sealed. They've made a final decision. And then I, I like what he says here in verse thirteen. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind; be sober in hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, there's that word hope. Gird up the loins of your mind means don't put garbage into your mind because that's what's going to come out. I have, I, I know what that's like. We need to put good things into our minds. So that the good things can come out. Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if what's in your heart is evil, then what's out of your mouth can only be evil. And then he says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, there was probably a time in your life when you didn't know about God, when you weren't under the sound of the scriptures. And even if this is the first day that you are under the sound of the scriptures, which I doubt, but even if it is, you no longer have any excuse because now you have begun to hear the scriptures. And he's saying, be obedient, children. Don't, be, don't act like an ignorant person like you maybe once were. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And why are we, why are we called to this? Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And then he says, if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. I find this very interesting, because a lot of times the world will say, well, God will judge. And I, if, if I'm judged according to my works, then, then I'll be okay. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that there is none righteous. There is none that seeks after God. We've, and then in, in, in Isaiah chapter 53, which we talked about earlier, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You see, if I'm to be judged according to my works, I'm to be judged a wrenching, grasping, covetous old sinner. To quote Charles Dickens. But instead, I'm judged by the one who is perfect. I have chosen, instead of being judged by my own works, which are nothing... To be judged by the works of Jesus that are perfect. It says there is no deceit in him. He never reviled anyone. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps. That's the one I want to be judged by. Because he said that he would take my sin and in exchange he would give me his Righteousness. Do I still sin? Yes, I'm not perfect. I won't be perfect until I get to heaven. But when God looks down at me, He sees Jesus. Because Jesus has washed away my sins. When I do do wrong, Jesus stands up at the right hand of God and shows His hands, and shows His feet, and shows His side, and says, I've paid for that. Andrew is already redeemed. And I'm so thankful for that. It's not something that's going to go away either. Verse 18, For so much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver or gold from your vain conversations received by tradition of the fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spawn. You know, the the idea of what is moral and what is right changes every day. Every day I open my computer and I read the headlines and I say, this is now acceptable. According to the world. But the things that Jesus says to us in the scriptures never change. Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So therefore I know that even though this book was written almost 2,000 years ago, I can believe it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will last forever. And then he says, but with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. There is nothing more precious than the blood of Christ. Think of the most precious thing. Think of the most rare item. And it won't come close. And it's amazing with all the beauty that there is in the world and all things of that nature. There are so many people, even who study the earth, who are scientists, who can deny that Jesus was the one who founded it all. The Bible has things to say about them. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So show your thanks for him by the way that you live. Could someone look up Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, just very quickly as we continue our uh, study here. Titus 2, 11 to 13. To whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of this honest thing. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, "Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy blood. This testimony is true, therefore, we rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound. With faith. I think you read the wrong read? scripture here. Titus two. Titus two eleven. For the grace of God which brings salvation as a to all men, teaching us the denying ungodliness and world life, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our our God, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So the hope of our salvation, the hope of having our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fact that He's coming back again. And regardless of what you believe about the end times, the one thing we can all agree on is He is coming back. For living with that in our minds, it will change the way we live. You see, when you encounter Jesus, He can't help but change you. Might I encourage you that I'm not saying that you have to change by yourself. I can't change by myself. What I'm saying is that Jesus is in the life-changing business. And when you encounter Him in a real way, He will change you. Philippians chapter 1 says this, Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So it's him who does the work. I just have to get out of the way and let him. And as I already told you, that can be a challenge. All right, well, I just want to share this quote from Richard L. Evans. He says this, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin. it." You know, I had a friend who passed away, I think it was six years ago now. Went to his funeral on my 32nd birthday. He was, I believe, 28. And as I sat there in that funeral, And I heard all the testimonies of how he had touched people for Christ. I was like, man, he packed a lot into that 28 years. And it redoubled my efforts and my passion for touching people with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we don't know how long we have. For those of us on earth, we would say that his life was cut short far too soon. But God had a plan. I don't know if you like country music, but there's a, there's a song by Scotty McCreary that's called The Dash. And he's talking about his grandfather, I believe, and he's talking about the date that he was born and the date that he died and, and that the life thing that he lived was the dash in between and that that's what mattered. What a good reminder for us. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up here with our third and final point. As we are thankful for our inheritance, and as we show our thanks by the life we live, the way that we can live that life is to keep our focus sharp. So, the third point is focus on the one who matters, and that is Jesus. Focus on the one who matters. That is Jesus. Let's look at first Peter, Peter chapter one verses nineteen to twenty five. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifesting the last time for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be of God. Seeing that you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof fadeth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So I kind of got ahead of myself there. But you see, I didn't count the number, but you see how many times we talked about hope this morning? How many times hope is interwoven in this passage? Because he says, in verse 21, who by him to believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15 said, if Christ be not risen, then our faith be in vain. And if Christ be not risen, we are of all men most miserable. And if the chapter ended there, we'd be like, well, what what do we do then? But it doesn't end there. Paul says this, but... And when, when you see the word but in the scriptures... A lot of times, amazing things are about to happen or be revealed. And he says, but now is Christ, is Christ risen from the dead. He is. It's the truth. And so we have a hope that we didn't have before we knew that. And then he talks about um, purifying our souls and obeying the truth, and having unfeigned love of the brethren, and that we love one another with a pure heart fervently. You know, the word love gets thrown around so loosely in our culture. When we like a certain food a whole lot, we often say, I love macaroni and cheese saw this YouTube video where it was kind of a comedy video, but they were making a good point. They were like, I'm not sure that God wants to be compared with macaroni and cheese. I used to really like macaroni and cheese, but I love God. And it's only as I love God that I can love others. Remember what we talked about before. Love God, love others, and never stop only way we can do that is by clinging to Jesus. Because he loved one, loved others with a pure heart, fervently. He went to the cross for people that hated him. He says, while well, we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for us because we, we almost passed muster and we just needed a little step up. No, we needed life. We needed everything. Greg Laurie is, has said this, that a lot of times people um, mock him for making Jesus a crush in his life. He said, Jesus is not a crutch in my life. Jesus is a whole hospital. Because without him, I wouldn't be able to do anything. And I echo those sentiments. I need Jesus. And so do you. And then here's the thing again: not of corruptible seed. Remember, he said we were purchased, not a corruptible thing like silver and gold. And now he's saying we're not born of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. There's no expiration date on the word of God. And then he talks about the. Brevity of life here, for all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. And this is the word by which the gospel has been preached to you. So the word that endures forever is the word that includes the gospel. So when Jesus says, this is the gospel that you believe in, Jesus Christ in the only, in in His are in God and in Jesus Christ whom He has sent. When He says that that will give me salvation, I can believe it because it endures forever. It's a hundred percent true, ironclad. So the question that I have for you is: Do you believe it? Have you made the decision to pass? from death to life? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? That's the only way. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again so that you and I can live a new life, a different life from the one we're capable of living without Him. So I hope that if you have not made that decision, that you will talk to me or someone else that you know and love who would love to share with you the gospel. Maybe you've heard the gospel, but you still need to respond to it. And if you have responded, and if you do love Him, may I encourage you to live like it? May I encourage you not to be um, so concerned with seeing if the things that your friends are doing can somehow fit in the parameters of the Word of God, and rather not be afraid to live to a higher standard, even if you live alone? Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were told to bow before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar and they said, O king, live forever. So they still honored him as king. But then they said, We will not bow down nor worship the statue that you have set up. Even if you put us in the fiery furnace, and our God is able to deliver us from the flames of the fiery furnace, but even if he does not, and I love this part, even if he does not, we will not bow down. You see, God does not always deliver us. Remember I was telling you that the Pharisees wanted you to believe that the truth of the scriptures was beyond Regular human comprehension, and that you had to be learned. It wasn't all that unlike in the 1500s when William Tyndale started to put down the Word of God in common English because he wanted the plowboy to know as much about Jesus as the priest. And what did he get for that? They burned him at the stake. And as he's dying, Burned at the stake, he says this, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And it wasn't too long after that that we were given the King James Bible. And so God answered that prayer, even though it took William Tyndale dying to make it happen. Jesus said that if a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, then it will abide forever. If Jesus hadn't suffered for us, we would still be miserable. So suffering is an important part of life, even though we would rather not deal with it. I just want to share with you in closing this quote from Charles Spurgeon and then I'd like to share a song. Charles Spurgeon said, I would propose the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand and worshipers, and, and as long as um, this platform shall stand and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. I am never ashamed to avow myself a Calvinist. I do not hesitate to take the name of Baptist. But if I am asked what is my creed, I reply, it is Jesus Christ. My venerated professor, Dr. Gill, has left a theological heritage, admirable and excellent in its way. But the legacy to which I would pin and bind myself forever, God help me, is Jesus Christ, who is the arm and substance of the gospel who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth. What a blessing that we have that as our heritage. That Jesus Christ, the God of the entire universe, is the one to whom we can have this personal relationship I'm going to sing number 337, Teach Me Thy Way, O Lord. I will sing the first verse, and then if you want um, to join in for the remainder, um, we will finish together. And I come from a church where we sing all the verses, so that's what we're going to (laughs) do. All right. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me thy way, thy guiding grace afford. Teach me thy way, help me to walk aright. More by faith, less by sight, lead me with heavenly light. Teach me thy way. When I am sad at heart, teach me thy way. then i yeah. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that this book would not just be something we open on Sundays, but would be our guide and sustenance throughout the week. And Lord, I pray that as we seek to live this life that we've talked about from 1 Peter chapter 1, that our cry would be, teach me thy way. Lord, you are amazing. It's overwhelming to us to think that the creator of the entire universe knows us by name and wants to have a relationship with us. But I pray that all those people who are in attendance today, whether young or old, that you would touch their hearts that you would whisper their names and that they would respond and come to you in faith. I pray a blessing upon each person in this room. Thank you um, for uh, those who work here, like Jossie, help them to finish strong. And Lord, just bless and guide all the families who are enjoying the weekend. Even those that did not come to the service today, Lord, I just pray that You would bless them in a special way. Give us safety as we go our separate ways, and bring us together again someday in that great eternity with You. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so once again, there's coffee. Please drink it if you want coffee. Um, We are going to be.